0: Hello and welcome to Healthline 3, I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking with Dr. Curtis Prejean about cardiogenic shock and mechanical circulatory support. We'll be taking your calls throughout the show and as a reminder, please make sure you're in a quiet room with your TV turned down to a very low volume so we can be sure and hear your questions. The number to call is 318-219-4569 and you'll see it throughout the show or on the bottom of your screen. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Prejohn.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So let's, um, we've talked about it early this morning and again just a few minutes ago, but let's refresh everyone about what cardiogenic shock really is.
1: Cardiogenic shock is a condition caused by the heart not pumping well. Uh, The heart, as everybody uh, knows, is what generates blood pressure, what generates the blood flow to keep you alive. Uh, Cardiogenic shock is a condition that where the heart has suffered Uh, Usually a a large heart attack and the heart muscle can no longer contract adequately to provide enough blood flow to keep you uh, alive or to uh, help you carry on your daily uh, physical activities.
0: Now is this only when you have a a large heart attack? Can you have this condition and, and not know that you've had a heart attack or is it something like without ha- well knowing that you've had a heart attack or having a big heart attack, can you have this condition?
1: You can have cardiogenic shock if you, but you would have known that you had had a problem because people can have congestive heart failure, and congestive heart failure can come from a lot of other reasons besides having a heart attack. But people who have had a heart attack and survived the heart attack, or who have had multiple heart attacks, and over the course of their lifetime. Their heart function becomes more and more compromised. They get to a point where they have congestive heart failure. Uh, if you have decompensated, if you have congestive heart failure, and you're compensated, you're being treated medically. You're you're doing you're doing okay for your condition. But if you if your heart function um, becomes compromised or you become unstable with your congestive heart failure, you could suffer cardiogenic shock as well.
0: Okay. And so when you're told you you have this, like how fatal is it and how quickly can something happen?
1: Cardiogenic shock is, if if untreated and even if treated, depending on how it's treated, has a mortality rate of 50, 60, sometimes 70%. So and if you're gonna have cardiogenic shock, it's usually a sudden onset. You wouldn't have a heart attack. Well, I think I had a heart attack yesterday and I don't feel so great today and you go to the hospital, oh, by the way, you're in cardiogenic shock. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's an emergency situation where the person is not doing very well. They're either, the family's called 911 and they're being transported in. Uh, when they get to the emergency room, they, they have shortness of breath, they feel cold and clammy. They may not be able to carry on a conversation because there's not enough blood flow to the brain. Uh, they're having uh, cerebral vascular problems because of insufficient blood flow. Their blood pressure is low. They're usually taken to the cath- to the heart catheterization laboratory to see what's going on. The cardiologist is usually the first one besides the emergency room doctor. The emergency room doctor would see him and then call cardiology. And then the cardiologist would take them to the uh, cath lab to do a, an investigation, a test called a heart cath. And then depending on what the heart cath shows, they may recommend that the patient have some type of percutaneous intervention, a stent, or if it's unstentable, they may refer it for urgent corni- uh, cardio- cardi- coronary bypass surgery. Mm-hmm. But if the patient is in a condition where they have cardiogenic shock, they're not doing well. They would say their blood pressure is very low. There's some tests that you can do to say, yes, this patient is in cardiogenic shock. And then that's where mechanical circulatory support comes into play.
0: Okay, and it's brought on by a large heart attack, but not everyone who has a heart attack necessarily has this cardiogenic shock.
1: You can have, again, you can have cardiogenic shock if you're, if people with congestive heart failure who say they've had multiple heart attacks. Every time you have a heart attack, a heart attack implies that the heart muscle, some part of your heart muscle has died. Mm. So, <coughs> and people say, well, I had a mild heart attack, and the way that doctors kind of look at how good or bad your heart function is, they look at a number called your ejection fraction. And what your ejection fraction is, when your heart's full of blood with one squeeze, one contraction, how much can it squeeze out? A normal ejection fraction is 60%, so we'll just play it safe and say neither one of us had a heart attack, so every time our heart contracts, we're pushing; it, it's pushing out 60% of the blood that's inside our left ventricle. Um, People who have a heart attack, they can have a mild heart attack where they essentially suffer no real decline in their ejection fraction. If they have a massive heart attack, they may have they may die, but they may have an ejection fraction that's gone from say fifty or sixty percent, now it's thirty or twenty percent. Anything less than thirty percent ejection fraction is considered poor heart function. Okay. So if you have a patient that has had multiple heart attacks and say they're, they're living with an ejection fraction of 35 or 30%, they're not going they're not well, to be able to carry on a lot of daily activities. They will be sh- short of breath with minimal exertion. But if something happens to them where their heart, they stop taking their medicine or they have another heart attack, and now their ejection fraction goes from 30% to 15%, they're going to they're gonna be in trouble.
0: Okay. Okay. I think we have a caller for you. Okay. Barbara, what is your question for the doctor? Yes,
2: my question is a mitral valve that's prolapsing, what uh, needs to be done about that? Uh,
1: uh, a mitral valve prolapse will probably not cause you uh, cardiogenic shock, but mitral valve prolapse is a condition, the mitral valve uh, has what are called leaflets, and the mitral valve typically has two leaflets. And it, it kind of operates like French doors. That's an easy way to do it. The, as the valve opens, the doors open. As the valve closes, the doors should meet at the, at the frame. People who have mitral valve prolapse, when the valve opens, that's fine. But when it goes to close, one of the doors goes a little bit further than the other door, and you leak between the doors. You leak between the leaflets mitral valve prolapse is a is fairly common in women more so than men uh... and it depends on how bad uh... the prolapse is which is a, which is going to influence how bad the valve is leaking uh... if you the way that they score it is zero your valves not leaking at all four plus your mit your valve is leaking severely uh... anything less than two uh... Uh, two a two, uh, grade 2 mitral valve insufficiency can usually be treated medically. Uh, the cardiologist would be the ones to manage your blood pressure uh, and do things to help your heart contract better. When your uh, prolapse and the, the, the consequence of your prolapse, mitral valve regurgitation or mitral valve insufficiency is just a fancy medical way of saying your valve is leaking over 2+, plus, then uh, you need to have something done, either uh, open surgery where we try to repair the valve or replace the valve, but there's also a new procedure for that called a mitroclip where you don't necessarily need to have open-heart surgery to fix the problem. It can be done uh, in the cath lab with a cardiologist where they can uh, and, and sometimes a surgeon, and they can go in and they can basically put. A clip that clips the two leaflets of your mitral valve together, and lets and c- kind of helps keep that that door that's opening too much to close to to close better. It's not as good uh, as having surgery, um, but it's you know it's kind of the balance of well I, I can if I can get a mitral clip to have your valve leak one plus one, one plus, and you're doing fine with that. You don't have to suffer you know, open-heart surgery and all the potential consequences of having open-heart surgery.
2: Okay, I have another question, please, uh, about uh, another situation, tropopendin 1, I might not be pronouncing that right, that's T-R-O-P-O-N-I-N
1: 1. Um, I'm not familiar with that, I'm afraid.
2: It- it's a level, um, elevated tropopin level
1: one. Yeah, um, uh, that's, that's, uh, oh. that's something that a medical doctor would probably better answer for you because I'm not familiar with that term to be perfectly honest.
2: Okay, well I certainly appreciate your information, All thank right.
1: you. well if you, would, if you have mitral valve prolapse I'd, you know, recommend you speak with your doctor. And then if, uh, if, you're, if you're having increasing shortness of breath, if you can do your daily activities and you don't have shortness of breath with whatever you consider your daily normal routine, your mitral valve prolapse is probably not that bad. But over time it can get worse. So if you start noticing that, you know, well, gee whiz, I used to be able to do this much activity and now I have to stop and rest. I get short of breath if I try to do something more than normal. It could be that your mitral valve prolapse is getting worse, and it may be at this point you don't want to wait until your mitral valve prolapse has gone from one plus to four plus, and now your heart function is is poor. it can lead to congestive heart failure, so you want to have it fixed um, before it gets too bad and your heart dilates out and stretches out then even if you have the valve repaired, replaced, or a mitroclip, you could still your heart function could still be poor and, and you wouldn't have a as good a quality of life if you had it done when it's a, when it needs to be done.
2: Okay, well they
1: said it's at hard working at 45% now. 45% is pretty good. You should be able to do most everything that you want to. Uh, you might be challenged if someone says you need to run up the stairs in the state building. Um, but it's uh, and I would if you know your heart function is at a 45% ejection fraction now, that's a question that you should ask your doctor when you see him well you know that they should be doing an echocardiogram every year or so to make sure that your mitral valve prolapse is not getting worse if, and okay doctor i had my echocardiogram what's my what's my ejection fraction is it still forty five percent you know hopefully the answer will be yes if it's uh, no it's down to forty percent no it's down to thirty five percent well doctor what are we going to do about it i don't want to go i don't want to go any lower than forty five Okay, you said objection, ask if your objection fraction? Yes, ma'am. If your heart was, with, if they say your heart's working at 45%, they're probably referring to your ejection fraction. And the easy way to think about it is if, you know, you see, you see the jet fighters when they push the button and they get an ejection sheet, they're pushed out the jet fighter. Well, your heart is, your ejection fraction is how much blood is your heart pushing out with each beat. And again, 60 is normal. Anything less than 30 is poor. So you're kind of in the middle, 45% is not, is not bad. You should, be able, like I say, that should let you lead a, a good quality life and, and do pretty much most of everything you want to.
0: Okay, well, thank you, sir.
1: You're very welcome. Good luck.
0: Thank you so much for calling, Barbara. Good luck to you. Dr. Prichard, are there certain specific tests to determine cardiogenic shock and causes of it?
1: There's some uh, tests they do in the cath lab to measure how much uh, your cardiac output is uh, and depending on how those scores come up, yes, this is indicative of cardiogenic shock. So, before we get too far along, you know, mechanical circulatory support. So the old ways of treating cardiogenic shock was to start, peop- s- start giving patients drugs, uh, drugs to bump up their blood pressure, something to make their heart contract better. Um, <coughs> and, but that old way of doing things is basically it was start drug medicine, you know, drug A. Okay, well drug A, I'm, I'm maxed out on drug A. Okay, well start drug B, I'm maxed out on drug B and you know continue doing this so but that is not a very good way to treat this condition because if you look at it you're you're having a heart that's damaged and is, is struggling to do the work and now you're so to speak whipping it with drugs to make it work better but it can't work better because it's, it's been damaged mechanical circulatory support there's numerous ways to do it but all of them involve uh, draining the blood from the body to a machine and then the machine pumps the blood back into the body. Um, And what that does is that if you're, everybody has to have a a cardiac output. Cardiac output is how much blood you're putting out per minute, liters per minute. And then we all have a different baseline of of cardiac output. If The bigger you are, the more your cardiac output has to be because you're a bigger person. <clears throat> but if your cardiac output is low and compromised, what the cardi- what the mechanical circulatory support does is that it provides blood flow to your body, that keeps your kidneys alive, keeps your brain alive, keeps everything else kind of going because you're without blood flow, things don't do well. It also takes the workload off the heart, so the heart can doesn't have to struggle anymore. And if you have a, an option of recovering, you you you're taking the, you're giving the heart a rest, so to speak, with mechanical circulatory support.
0: Okay, that makes sense, giving it rest with the support. Right. Okay, and I think we have a caller for you. Great. Robert, what is your question for Dr. Prajan? Oh
2: yes, thanks for taking my call. Uh, Dr. Prajan I'd like to know, is it common for a COVID booster shot to cause shortness of the breath?
1: Uh, COVID can cause shortness of breath. We've had, and in fact, mechanical circulatory support is a treatment for people who have severe COVID infections. Um, the, the COVID can cause very, very severe uh, lung dysfunction. It can also cause clots. It can cause a lot of different, you know, if, wherever the blood clot goes, the, the, thing, the, the organ beyond the blood clot is not going to be happy about it. So, but COVID, to to answer your question, yes, COVID can cause you to be uh, blood clots and can cause your lung function and your shortness of breath to be very, very poor. Um, Most of the time, they'll try to treat you conventionally with putting you on a, you know, giving you oxygen treatments, giving you medications. If your condition continues to deteriorate, then you wind up being on the ventilator. If you continue, if despite the ventilator, your condition continues to deteriorate, then mechanical circulatory support, with a, a mode of ec- called ECMO uh, is life-saving. Uh, ECMO uh, stands, it's an acronym for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, so instead of saying that mouthful of words we just cut it down to ECMO. And ECMO is basically, ECMO for respiratory distress is basically the same type of technology where we take the blood from uh, the body with a, a, a tube or a cannula that's placed in a big vein. The blood goes to a pump that pumps it through an, uh, a, what's called an oxygenator where the, the oxygenator takes off the carbon dioxide adds oxygen and the oxygenated blood is pumped back to the heart that pumps it uh, to the rest of the body. So instead of having uh, low oxygen states because your lungs can't do the work the ECMO circuit does the work for the body and the lungs and then you just same thing you can can put the lungs on what's called rest settings and just treat the let the lungs hopefully recover from the COVID
2: okay well I got the the two normal uh, COVID shots and everything's fine I've never had shortness of breath I've never smoked a cigarette in my life but I got that booster shot and then after I got that I'd walk to the mailbox and back and be short of breath could the booster
1: shot alone cause that? I I don't think that would be the cause if you uh, but there have been uh, the COVID shot no one wants to talk about the COVID shots and the vaccines everybody uh, I don't want to get too political about it but there's a lot of other information about the vaccines and the consequences of getting the vaccines and that's the big you know, controversy right now is take the vaccine, don't take the vaccine. Well, if you don't take the vaccine, you're going to get COVID. That's not true. If you do get the vaccine, you can get COVID. Well, the vaccines are very safe and they don't cause any problems. Mm, that's not true either. So, yeah. if you got the first two shots and you're doing and you went fine, and they they convinced you to get the the booster, and now you're short of breath, it could be. I would, I, I you know, without you know seeing you or anything else, you know, we're just talking on. Uh, the internet, so to speak, I would I would recommend you get to see your primary care doctor and let them know, hey, I, 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 I was fine before the booster and now my booster is after the booster I'm not so fine. It could be, it could be that the, the booster shot has caused you some problems, but it could also be that you've got other, I mean the list of reasons for being short of breath we could, you know, is a mile long, so there's right. lots of reasons you could do it. So, but I would, the best thing to do Just go see your doctor, have them give them your complaints, and let them examine you and get the appropriate test to see what's going on to hopefully make you better.
2: Well, listen, I sure appreciate you taking my call, and you have a nice day.
1: You, uh, thank you very much for calling in. Good luck to you, and I hope you feel better soon.
0: Thank you so much for calling. We do wish you well. And so, before we talk more about the support, what are the complications of cardiogenic shock? Death. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Death, uh, 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 kidney failure, stroke, uh, liver, uh, brain compromise if you don't have a stroke, uh, liver failure, um, end organ end organ failure. So again, e- every, every organ, if you look at the body and say, well, there's the whole human, but then there's the brain system, the heart system, the kidney system, the liver f- system, all your systems need oxygenated blood to survive and to and to thrive. So, if the heart can't provide your kidneys with enough blood flow, your kidneys are going to stop working. Then you go into renal failure, and then you need dialysis, and then you're you know, and it gets to be a. Uh, a, a Positive feedback cycle where well the kidneys are not working well now the heart's having to struggle more because the kidneys can't get rid of the extra fluid now your liver stops working and then your brain stops working and it just comes a a gradual or sometimes a very rapid downhill spiral and then you 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 don't do well
0: yeah so for to simplify for someone who's just not a medical person it's just common sense to think about once you've explained to us so. Wonderfully, if you have to get it, that it's just not pumping the blood the way it should. Obviously, that makes sense. You're going to have, you might have some failure of other organs, just everything, it, um, aside it, from death, obviously.
1: It can be a, it can be, it can be a, uh, it can be a very rapid de- uh, yeah. uh, uh, problem where you go down and uh, say you can have a bad heart attack and you're at your house and you you pass out from the heart attack. You have a bad arrhythmia from the heart attack. You call 911. They come, or your fa- or your family knows how to do CPR, and they get you back. But they get you to the cath lab, to the hospital in time to have to be investigated, to have a heart cast, to have surgery, or to have mechanical circulatory support. Um, it still doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to survive. But me- treating cardiogenic shock with mechanical circulatory support. Uh, greatly increases your chance of survival. There's, uh, I started the the mechanical circulatory support at Willis knighton about eight years ago. It's been slowly growing, and there's more. There's now there's different pumps on the market that we can use besides just ECMO, um, and um, we have some wonderful success stories of people who came in with a heart attack. There was one. Our fir- our very first patient was a. Uh, um, a local uh, high school football coach who had a bad heart attack was brought to the Bosier emergency room. They did a heart cath. They did a stent to his left, to the main artery of his heart. Uh, he continued to do poorly. We put him on ECMO, uh, stabilized him greatly. Uh, I thought he might need a heart transplant or something more advanced than what we could offer in Shreveport. We helicoptered him to Dallas. They recovered him. His heart got better, and he's back to coaching so it, it's 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 really great therapy you know it it is uh it can be complicated there and like with any complicated therapy there can be issues of taking care of the patient afterwards but uh it's it's a life-saving therapy for people who've suffered a, a really large heart attack
0: <laughs> so, and back to coaching from where you saw him and thinking possible heart transplant. And then with this support system, I mean, that's pretty incredible. Yes, ma'am, yeah. it is. And since you brought this here in eight years, have you seen advancement? How, how much change have you seen in these eight years?
1: The ECMO, uh, when we first started ECMO, the like I say, there's, there's the, ec, the ECMO program that we started was originally started for cardiogenic shock. But there's different modes of ECMO, VA ECMO, Veno-Arterial ECMO is what is used for cardiogenic shock. VV ECMO, Veno-Venus ECMO, is what they use for the lady when she called it about COVID. And it has kind of a combination of both. But there's uh, another device that's that's been uh, life-saving as well. It's from a company called Aviamed. And the device that they have is uh, called an Impella. And again, it's a blood pump. Uh, the way it works is you can either go in through... The artery in your groin, your femoral artery, or go through one of the arteries up underneath your clavicle, and the pump—it's—it's really an elegant design. They have—it's—you put one part of the pump inside the left ventricle, and the other part of the pump sits in the main artery of your body, the aorta, outside the ventricle. So again, I, I, the easy thing for me to say is I'm a plumber. <laughs> and so the way, if you th- and I think most everybody has, especially with the flooding that we're seeing, people are gonna see, oh there's some flooding, I need to pump the water, hopefully not out of my house, but if you, your house floods, they put a pump, a water pump, they put one part of the pump, the, uh, a hose inside where the water's at, the pump's outside, the pump sucks the water from inside the house and pushes it to another location. And that's what uh, an impeller does, is that the blood, the the part of the pump that's inside the heart pulls the blood from inside the left ventricle and pushes it out into the aorta where it goes out to the rest of the body. So we just did one of those cases uh, this past weekend where a lady came in with a large heart attack. The cardiologist uh, stented one of her arteries. She continued to have problems with blood pressure and we put an impella in her, and she's, she's doing great.
0: That's incredible. Okay, I think we have a Janet on the line for you right now. Janet, what is your question for the doctor?
2: I've been told that my tricuspid is... Um, I'm applied as what you mentioned for the uh, other one. Valve, heart valve.
1: You've been told what? I, I didn't get all your question.
2: Tricuspid, heart valve.
1: What valve is giving you trouble?
2: Tricuspid. Tricuspid valve?
1: Okay, well your your tricuspid valve, um, that's that's on the right side of your heart. Uh, The tricuspid valve, the blood when it's gone through your body eventually comes back to the right side of your heart. The right side is called your right atrium. And the tricuspid valve is what lets the the blood from your right atrium into your right ventricle. And the right ventricle is what pumps the blood to your lungs and then it goes that comes back to the left side of your heart. So is your tricuspid valve leaking? Yes. Yes? So again, yes. yes. So again just like the lady who called in about her mitral valve, the tricuspid valve is also graded zero, it's not leaking at all, four plus, it, it's leaking wide open. Uh, the t- treatment for, uh, and if you're less than two plus, Uh, then most of the time you can treat that medically. If it's more than 2+, plus, you need to think about having something done about it. And the way um, that you can have something done about it is to either consider surgery where they go in and they repair your mitral valve and try to make the, the valve leak less, or if the valve is beyond repair, then you replace it.
2: Okay, what about the clip?
1: The clip doesn't work on the, on the tricuspid valve. Um, the clip is only good, the, the tricuspid valve, the tri part of the tricuspid valve means that you have three leaflets um, for your tricuspid valve. All the, the other three valves in your heart besides the, the mitral valve is the only one with two. All the other valves have three leaflets. So the clip really wouldn't work for um, tricuspid valve insufficiency or, or leaky. Uh, a leaking uh, tricuspid valve. There are some non-surgical technologies that are coming on board. They're not um, here in Shreveport yet. It may be that, you know, if you have, uh, you could look into having something done, if you don't want to have surgery or you're not a candidate for surgery for whatever reason, uh, you could look into, you know, maybe trying Dallas or something like that. They may have some, a lot of these devices come out and they'll, they'll have Uh, they have to be studied and not every place is going to be a study center so maybe you could look into Dallas or Houston as a place to see if there's a non-surgical treatment for your tricuspid valve. Okay. Good luck. I hope you feel better quick.
0: And thank you so much for calling. So we're about to wrap it up. Thank you so much for everything. Is there one thing you'd like to leave us with about cardiac and vascular health?
1: Cardiogenic shock is a really bad uh, complication of cardiac uh, of uh, myocardial infarction. Uh, if you are, if you or your family are at a hospital and the, the doctors are saying that things aren't looking good, I would certainly ask the doctor to consider uh, uh, calling for mechanical circulatory support. The three hospitals in Shreveport all have some type of cardiogen- of of uh, mechanical circulatory support. I'm friends with the, the doctors at both <laughs> LSU and uh, Highland. So uh, th- there are doctors that are available to help with that, and so don't hesitate to ask. If you have any questions you can, or, or concerns, you can call uh, 318-227-9777. They can get a hold of me, and we can help you with that.
0: All right. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you today.
1: Same here. Thank, thank you. you very much for having me. Sure.
0: And everyone, thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next time on Healthline 3.